Welcome to the final installment of the Off the Bench podcast for the 2021-2022 season. I'm Chris Miller of NBC Sports Washington. Today, our exit interview features first-year head coach Wes Unsell Jr. Wes had an up-and-down season coaching for the first time in the NBA. Obviously, that 10-3 and start was amazing, but the ebbs and flows of the year saw the Wizards not able to qualify for the playoffs. But there is hope. There is promise as some of these young players have developed over the year. We'll get Wes's take on that. We'll talk to him about the Bradley Beal, Kristaps Porzingis duo and what the future holds in terms of this team going into next season. Before we do that, I just want to take this opportunity to thank all of you who have listened all season long, as this has been my first year of guiding you through the Off the Bench podcast. It has been truly amazing. I want to thank all of our support staff and obviously our sponsors who have been with us all season long. All right, with that being said, sit back and relax and listen to head coach Wes Unsell Jr. in his final exit interview as we cap the 2021-2022 season here on the Off the Bench Podcast. Wizards fans, we're partnering with Clear to make your game day a great day. With the free Clear app, not only can you use HealthPass to easily show proof of vaccination, but you can also use the app to enter the arena faster through the Clear lanes. Get started today by downloading the free Clear app tapping the black Sports and Events button on the home screen and selecting Washington Wizards. Then head to the clear lanes located at the 7th and G Street entrance across from Clyde's. When you arrive, you'll take a quick picture at the clear pod to confirm that you are you and walk right in. No crowds, no hassle. Download the free clear app today to get started. Before we talk about the season, a more important event uh, with the renovation of the Unsell School. Just what are your thoughts about that? Well, you know, it's incredible. I mean, it's uh, certainly a gift, not only to, you know, um, you know, my mom's vision, but, you know, to the, to the students in the community, um, you know, to have people that care enough to, you know, want to make a difference, give back, um, and do, do in part, you know, what, what a lot of organizations should do, um, give back to the community. So, you know, I'm certainly thankful, you know, to Monty Mill Sports, uh, to Ted and his partners, but, you know, Hearts of America for reaching out and extending that, you know, their willingness to give back to the communities. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible gesture. I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but when you got hired, I got an email from a young man that's from Baltimore that went to your mom's school. And he shared just a couple of lines about what the school kind of meant to him. Mm-hmm. When you hear first, first-hand accounts of the impact your parents' vision of the school had on them, how does that make you feel? It's an incredible feeling. I mean, I think that's, that's what still drives her, you know, because I, I think she realizes that uh, she's making, you know, change in, uh, in people's lives um, and giving opportunities to, at times, for folks who haven't had the opportunity um, and to, you know, for it to come full circle and for her to have students who now have kids uh, re-enrolled in the school. Uh, I think that's the, probably the biggest delight, you know, because it's, now it's second generation. But uh, it's, it's amazing, you know, and, and just to have the, that connection. Um, and my sister and I, we, we joke, it's, it's the third child. <laughs> my sister, myself, and the school. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how, you know, the, she's always approached it. Um, it, it it's, her, it's her vision, it's her baby. And, um, you know, she, she's put everything into it. So it's really nice that, you know, people reach out or reach back and, um, you know, say you know, wonderful things like that. Yeah, it's truly a part of the community, right? You want to be able to invest in the community and how do, 
best way do you do that? You invest into the kids, and now you're seeing the fruits of that. So much respect always to you and the family. Well, I appreciate that. that. Thank you. Uh, now we got to talk about the season. Okay, <laughs> so Sunday, horn goes off. Season's over with. What was kind of like your first reaction once you knew it's on to the next one? Well, you, you start snowballing thoughts about, you know, looking back at reflecting. You know, what went well, what didn't go right, how can we improve? Um, and even beyond just the schematics, you know, some of the details, how we travel, you know, the food, you know, the, how our staff, um, you know, integrates and communicates. All these things you're just trying to, like, jot down notes about, you know, subtle improvements. Uh, we'll kind of get into the details of the schematic stuff, uh, the roster makeup, um, you know, as we kind of take some time and look back at things. But, you know, the, you're taking notes all along. And, uh, you know, the challenge not only for us is, uh, you know, say, hey, we, we want our, all of our players to come back better players. But, you know, we have to come back better, better staff, better coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and each department has to take on that, that same type of mindset. That we, we don't want to stay uh, static, but continue to grow and, and push things, you know, in the right direction. I got a number, and I don't, it hit me today when I heard this number, and I was like, God, I got to ask Wesk about this. How many players did you coach this year? <laughs> uh, I think it was 29. It's quite the number. Congratulations <laughs> on your first year, sir. I mean, if I would have told you before the year started, yeah. hey, Wes, you're gonna, your first year you're going to coach 29 players. Yeah. The crazy cool? part about that was uh, the vast majority of the, that number mm-hmm. came within a span of three to four weeks. Yeah, and, and it's you know I think every team had to go through um, their COVID bout, but you know it was just one of those things you can't foresee, you can't plan for. Um, so you're, you're, a lot of, you're making a lot of decisions and you're trying to implement guys and get them up to speed, but you're doing it on the fly. Yeah. So certainly challenging, um, you know, and, it, and it's own bizarre year, but um, every team had to, to deal with it to, on some some level. Uh, but we, we didn't, you know, certainly didn't get the the benefit of the, the COVID relief. Okay, so I want to go to one game specifically because I actually called this game, and I just remember putting my boards together, and we're at Miami, and Craig Sword, and like all these dudes just ended up, Alize Johnson, all these people just showed up. Yeah. So it was hard for a broadcaster. What was it like for the head coach, <laughs> like that morning, uh, kind of walking me through before that 7.30 tip of, yeah. Who's available? How do they know the place? Do we have shoes for Alizé? I yeah. mean, what, what, do we, what was that like? Sadly, that was the kind of the norm at that point of the season, that juncture of the season. We, we were kind of dealing with that every day where, you know, I'm on the text chain with, with Tommy and, uh, and our medical staff. Like, who's available? Mm-hmm. Who, who will be coming out of protocol? Who has, you know, certain thresholds to meet before they're able to play or at least, um, you know, come out of the protocol? Uh, so these ongoing conversations are just nonstop. Um, get to our morning meeting, have to test before a meeting, find out two of our roster guys now have um, tested positive. So we're down two more. And um, on the phone with Tommy, um, had already planned on bringing Craig down, you know, from, from the go-go. Um, and, hey, we're going to bring Alizé Johnson in. He's a free agent. He's in the air. We can we get him in the air, get him a flight, get him down here. Because he, he was be coming here. from Chicago, right? Yes, but he okay. won't be there until 4, 5 o'clock. So we, you'll see him at the arena. <laughs> so, you know, you had Isaiah and some other young guys from the go-go. Um, had our morning walkthrough in the uh, ballroom because we couldn't do shoot-arounds. Mm-hmm. Um, kept those young guys a little longer to walk through some things and concepts. Um, just to hope, with the hope of staying organized. Um, and then when you get to the arena, you know, he's got a shooting time. He's got this. He's got that. You spend 10 minutes with the kid and like, hey, these are some things we do. This is, what, you know, our certain calls. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then you just you go play. It, it's not by design, but um, being able to absorb and be malleable and adjust on the fly, I think, is a big piece of this. I think that's probably one of the probably the biggest things you probably took away from this year is being flexible and kind of understanding like what you think you might have at seven o'clock <laughs> could be completely could different. be completely different. Yeah, how would you kind of describe that as a first time being a head coach and having all of these responsibilities to get a group together? Uh, it's a bit unnerving at times, um, but you know, sadly, it becomes a norm. And you just have to worry about what, what's the biggest task today. Mm-hmm. You can't worry about some of the peripheral things, you know, uh, control what you can control. Um, you know, kind of keep these guys centered on what's important. Uh, try to keep them as organized as possible. Um, and make your way through it. At that bottom line, that's all you can do. Um, so it's certainly not by design, and it's maybe atypical of a normal rookie head coach season, but this was, this was all I knew. So yeah. being able to, to go through it and, and some of those tests early in, in my coaching career, hopefully uh, I've got all the tough stuff out of the way. <laughs> but, you know, I'll be better for it yeah. than having to go through it. And uh, just like our players, just, you can't dwell on the what-ifs. Um, you know, take the opportunities that you have and, and do the best you can with it. I've had so many head coaches for the Wizards tell me this over the years. It's just, just some real lonely nights after a tough loss. But I can't imagine, like, what you were kind of going through what what were those nights like because are, are you like me where like you try to get it out of your system in the car before you get home because you want to be home are you that kind of guy like how, do, how did you process the struggles well uh, you know you have to be careful not to overanalyze because I think sometimes you uh, start projecting you know in areas yeah. that really that's not the issue mm-hmm. so you really have to kind of take a step back at times um, and I you know made that point not only to our staff to our players but it wasn't the losses per se, it, it's how we were losing. I think that eats at you more mm-hmm. because you, you feel like it, we're, we're, we're better than that. We're more prepared than that. Um, these areas shouldn't be hurting us. Uh, now, some nights you play great, team makes more shots, you struggle offensively, that's how the game goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but did we do the things we were supposed to do? Uh, did we compete at a high enough level? Did we play for each other or, or, or were we selfish? Those are the like the big things you kind of take away from a game and become really frustrated. Yeah. Um, so I think you have to re- kind of remove yourself at times. Give yourself a moment to take a deep breath. Uh, and more often than not, you know, especially in home games, I would go home and just try to put it to bed. And I'd be up, you know, first thing in the morning, and that's gave me a little bit more clarity okay. to look at it through a different lens. All right. Best win this year. What was it in your eyes? Ooh, there, there were there were several. Um, you know, I think, you know, the game in Toronto, obviously your first win as a head coach is always going to be meaningful, uh, memorable for, for a number of reasons, not only the way we played, um, but just our overall competitive spirit, I thought was great. Um, and to do that on the road, you know, in, in a tough, you know, truncated preseason, I think it was, it was meaningful. Um, we've had some big wins, you know, against really, you know, marquee teams this season, and we've had some bad losses. So, um... I think sometimes those get overshadowed, but that would probably be the most memorable. The one where you were like, I need to take a deep breath. <laughs> uh, I know there, one in a, particular, a, a but I want to see if we agree on this. Which was oh, the one where it just, that one really kind of got to you? I think New Orleans, in New yeah. Orleans, first time we were down there. Um, and, then, and I think that was the, you know, probably one game where I just didn't, 
I didn't like our, our, our team approach. Uh, we didn't we didn't seem like we were we had gelled and we, were, we weren't playing our brand of basketball. Um, and of course, I had to say my piece. Yeah, um, it, 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 there's a phrase that has been coined. It's called the hold the plane game. <laughs> yeah. Hold the plane. Coach has something to say. I couldn't hold on to it. Yeah, that was yeah. one that you know it, it, it wouldn't have served us well for any of us, players, staff, myself, to hold on to it. I figured, you know what? Let's talk about it right now. It's whatever it is. We're not leaving here until uh, we feel satisfied that we've answered the why. Mm -hmm. And I thought we did, and we responded on that trip. I thought it was a pivotal moment for this group. And uh, you know, th those those type moments I think are lessons for me, but also for our players that we can't be afraid to have healthy confrontation. Um, we can always shy away from it and think it's just going to go away, or address the elephant in the room, and, you know, diagnose it and move on. I thought it was always interesting, and you said this when the team was 10-3, and three, and you know how I get. I was so excited. I'm giddy. I'm like, man, we never guarded this way before, <laughs> ever. Like, and you were always kind of like, you know, we still have to run the race. We still have to pull mm -hmm. on the rope together. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you. but what what did you see at that point that, that fans and media didn't see? Because we were all kind of like euphoric. It was like a, a moment, but mm -hmm. you were always kind of like, no, we still have a lot more work to do. Honestly, I, I didn't think we played our best basketball. We, we were winning games, which is great. Uh, winning some close games, you know, making plays at certain times throughout the game. Defensively, we were, we were defending at a higher level um, than we had, you know, at latter, latter points in the season. But I felt like we still had a lot of room for growth. So I, I didn't want to get ahead of myself and say, "Hey, this is perfect. This we is just great." We the championship. No, <laughs> right. and, and you got to realize, you know, it's it's an 82-game grind, mm -hmm. and in my 24 years, it's that there's always ebbs and flows, um, and you want to minimize, you know, some of the ebbs, but they're they're going to happen. Uh, so you know that always kind of dawned on me and, and keep in the back of my mind is, you know, maybe we're not as good as we think we are, and, you know. So let's let's make sure we're not falling into that air of complacency. And make the trade, Brad shut down. You get a Porzingis that is a unique talent. But you're also having now to identify the young players' opportunities and minutes, and what do you do with those minutes? How would you kind of quantify those four young players of Denny, Rui, Kispert, and Gafford? Yeah, you know what? It, I got the question quite often in the media, you know, after games, and what's the balance between winning and playing guys and, you know, their growth track? And it, it kind of dawned on me. It's like they're part of our rotation. Mm -hmm. So we're not throwing out favors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, a lot, of, a lot of games missed due to injury, COVID, what have you. Um, we need these guys to perform. Now, of course, there's, there are going to be youthful mistakes that you have to kind of live with. But the, the, the fact that they're getting on the job training in the moment, and then that's something that's invaluable for their development, but also for our collective growth. Uh, we can't simulate this environment in practice. So for them to have to go on through it, you know, is, is amazing. It, it puts us, I think, further along, you know, in their growth track. You know, we talked about Corey. And at the beginning of the season, if we were healthy, I'm trying to find ways to carve out minutes. Like, where's this kid going to play? And now all of a sudden, the trade, the injuries, what have you, and he's, he's starting. So I think it just, you know, propels him to a different level, you know, this time next year. You know, when I look at him, you know, everybody says, oh, he's a really good shooter. I'm like, nah, he's a little more athletic than you think. Mm -hmm. But one thing that really stood out to me this year, Wes, and I, I want to get your take on this, I think he's the best cutter on the team. Yeah. I think he cuts with purpose. Yes. It's those little nuanced things. Mm -hmm. Like, did you know that before no. you started coaching him in, no. like, the draft evaluation? No. 
And all of that was pretty much done before I got here. Okay. And, you know, it's, I, I got the job, I think, 19th or 20th of July. And the draft was, I think, a week or so after that. So they had already done all the draft workouts, and I'm trying to just get up to speed and watch film uh, on certain guys that they'd kind of earmarked. Um, I did not see that as part of his game. But you, you saw early on, even in just open run, the, the kid knew how to play. He knew, like, you know, how to play to his strengths, how to avoid some, you know, some of his weaknesses. Um, and he just continued to add tidbits every, every month. It was like a new layer. Um, and it's, it's a good sign to see, but there's a, there's a level of maturity for a guy who played four years in college. So it's like, okay, he'll figure it out. Um, he just, you know, the game has slowed down for him. The speed is, um, he's adjusting to that, the level of physicality. Um, and then to have to go out and guard, I mean, you're, you're a starter. There's nowhere to hide. And so you would try to find a favorable matchup if you want, but they're, they're going to look for it. So it's, at some point, being able to handle that exposure and, and be, you know, be out there with the, you know, with the starting group is a big piece. I look at Rui, too, and obviously his growth and development was his three-point shooting. But, man, we got to get him to guard better. Like yeah. I feel like if he can guard better and now he becomes this two-way player, uh, could he potentially be a 3-and-D guy in this league? Um, I, I hate to you know categorize a guy as a, a three or four because I think at times it's your four on defense, the three on offense. Gotcha. But you know he certainly the, the three point shooting is a big you know bonus. You know that's not an area I, I foresaw, but to see, to see him expand his game the way he has, and for that to be a weapon, I think is, is huge. You know the the defensive component, the one on one, I think he he'll be fine. His ability to move his feet, uh, whether it's on the perimeter or even in the post, his physicality, his size and strength. We can play to that. You know, the, the biggest, uh, I think, adjustment for him, you know, guarding pick and roll, where he, he now has to switch on to the ball and now stay in coverage when he's guarding the ball in pick and roll. And, uh, you know, honoring a call and adjusting his stance and navigating over under, um, you know, that's another layer I don't think he's had. Both him and Denny, um, it's a lot of that's new. So, no, it didn't, you know, pan out as well as we wanted, but for him to have to have that experience, you know, I think he has to fine tune the details, but I think it, uh, th th that's another layer for him to, to improve upon. And then Denny, you talk about a guy that really accepts the challenge, mm -hmm. whatever the result is, you live <laughs> with it though, but he at least says, if you tell him, Denny, you got KD tonight, yeah. I don't think he's ever shied away from it. He no, kind he of embraces it. Yeah. How much does that kind of help in terms of his development of being like, I'll accept any challenge you throw at me, Coach? No, it's, it's great because a lot of guys don't step up to that. You know, they'll find ways to hide around it or, um, you know, kind of mitigate their exposure. But, you know, the fact that he embraces that role uh, for young players is, is, is amazing. Um, and it goes back to some of the nuanced things, you know, better understanding of personnel, better level of communication. Um, you know, being in the right spots at the right time. Give yourself an opportunity to, to make a play, you know, and so that'll help hopefully clean up his fouling. Um, and a lot of that's technique based. So, um, once again, you can't simulate that environment. You know, you, you have to go through it and it, it's, you're judged on your success and or, and or your failure, but you know, you're, you're going to be better for it uh, because you just, those, those situations you just can't, um, you can't artificially create. Yeah, I coined it research and development after the trade deadline because it's giving you like real-time research and how did these kids get better and then I saw Daniel Gafford and then when you guys put together the Porzingis Gafford you know kind of twin tower thing 
I was like, yes, because I'm not going to let Bickerstaff beat us <laughs> not one more time when he's parading them three seven-footers out there. And I know you were like, we're not. But to get that combination out there to mm -hmm. see what it looks like, small sample size, yeah. what did you like? What needs to improve? Well, it's something we, we had talked about you know, prior to the trade. And then there was that three-week window. We were still trying to get KP back. Um, we get KP up to speed, and now Gaff gets COVID. And so it's yeah. like timing was not optimal. Um, so we were, we were somewhat leery of just doing it on the fly, like just throwing it to the wind. I wanted to get guys to get, get some reps together. So understand you have no the, practice time, so it's very hard little to kind of practice do that, time. Right? Um, and and it, it's tough, it, but get those guys to understand the spatial dynamic. You know, Gaff is a roller, KP is a spacer. Um, you know, the help discipline defensively, because as bigs, they're all trained, you know, that they're going to come to the ball. Oh, yeah. So you can't bring two or three bodies to the ball. You know, that, that's obviously um, not a good thing. Mm -hmm. So um, some of these certain layers, but small sample, I thought it was positive. Um, to see them play off each other, and you, both with size and length, protect the paint, protect the rim. I think there's, there's an opportunity uh, to use that pairing, um, you, know, you know, in the future. Um, you know, and some nights it's not going to go so well. Yeah, you know, mobile four or, you know, a guy who's coming off screens and, and moving quite a bit might be tough for, for KP to guard. But, you know, we, we've also added other layers of, you know, zone and press and dif different things that we've tried over the last five to ten games. Um, so a lot of things that we can continue to build upon that are um, give us a little in insight to how it may look. And kind of just leading into that, just having a – a roster where you can have as much flexibility as you want in terms of how you want to play is the point guard position. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to Tommy about him like if you look at the playoffs, you know, every team has got one. Yeah. Now they might yeah. do certain things, but mm -hmm. they've got one. How do you see the point guard position for your group kind of moving forward? And, and, and what does it look like to you? Like, well, what's I an ideal PG for yeah, you? Well, yeah, I mean, I think you know, selfishly every coach is going to want, you know, someone's going to be an extension of them, you know, who reads a game like them, sees a game like them, can orchestrate the offense, keep guys organized, uh, read it and understand the flow. Um, who's got a game going? I need, this guy needs a shot. Or there's a mismatch here we can, we can target. I don't think there's very many of those prototypical point guards left in the league. God bless Chris Paul. Yeah, I, think, I wasn't going to say his name because he's, whew. But, yes, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a unique case. I don't think there's guys like that. Now, there, there's guys who do a lot of those, those things and who can score and, and create, you know, other issues. But I think it, at times it's by committee. Um, and it goes back to, you know, having Denny, having Kuz on the floor. Uh, we tried at length this year to, to try to platoon guys, so we had at least two facilitators, two ball handlers. Um, just to mitigate, you know, some of the pressure at times it, it puts on one guy to have to just quarterback everything. Um, you know, and you get Brad back in the fold, now it gives you maybe three guys, you know, on the floor. So I don't think it has to be, you know, an old school prototypical point guard, you know, that just ran the show. Mm -hmm. uh, ideally, that would be great, but, you know, they're, they're, they're a dying breed. Um, so a guy who. Why is that? I, I, you know what? I don't know. I think it's, you know, we put the premium on scoring. Um, so a lot of young players, they, they come up and think their impact is based on offensive metrics. Um, I think the, you know, it's, it's easy to say, well, you know, average this amount of points and this number of assists and okay, great. But mm -hmm. can you run your team? You know, what else are you doing? Can you guard your position? Um, I think that those are some things that often get overlooked. Uh, so I think it, Yeah, because I have never heard, and maybe you have heard this in Dear 24 years NBA, I've never heard a guy go, you know what, coach? I got to get three straight stops for you. <laughs> Never. 
Have you ever heard that? Because no, I, I, no. I've heard it. I ain't had a touch here in a couple yeah. possessions. Oh, yeah. I've never yeah. really heard a guy yeah. say, you know, Coach, I got to get three stops for you. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> well, and that, that, you know, I, I laugh and joke. And it's, you're 100% right. We talk about, like, the, you know, the summer development. And it, it's a message that I kind of talked about with each of our guys in the exit interviews is, you know, how often do you work on your offensive game in the summer? Every day. You go lift. You, you, they spend 45 minutes on the floor every day working on just offense. But all of a sudden, we're going to take incremental steps on the defensive end. Well, it doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. You, you got to find ways to incorporate some of that in the individual workout. You can't just wait until we get to five on five to say, "All right, now I'm a guard." Right. Um, so it, it's kind of a, a mentality, but um, there's merit to it. Yeah. So moving kind of into the off season, I mean, obviously you've had your exit interviews with the players and kind of put out the plan of how you attack the summer. Where would you say the priority in terms of like defense and maybe even from an offensive standpoint, shooting more threes and obviously making more threes? Yeah, we, we saw a huge uptick, you know, and I thought early we were generating the right types of shots. Some of it was a struggle. We, we you know, lost, lost some guys to, yeah. to create. Shot creation was tough. But um, I think since mid-February, March, um, it had been about a 7 8% jump in our three-point shooting. I think some of that is because of the ball movement. Um, that we're, we're finding the open guy. So the, the difficulty, the level of difficulty in some of those threes has gone down. Um, those, those threes are more in rhythm and flow. And I think there's also, you know, you got guys who have played together a bit, and there's a level of comfortability, le- level of trust, that, that, um, and confidence in a guy that he's going to step up and make, make the right play at the right time, and that, that guy's going to step up and make the shot. So I think all those things are kind of snowballed in, into the right direction. And that's where we want to kind of, keep you know building upon that you know connectivity um, you know as far as on the defensive end you know I think it's the, the level of communication and we've talked about that at length mm-hmm. um, wasn't where it needs, needs to be but to have guys come back now after have gone through most of it you know throughout this season there, there's going to be a level of corporate knowledge so less teaching and let's just get more reps we I felt we had a lot of we spent had a lot of time trying to get guys up to speed you know with you know implementing so many new bodies Throughout this year, it's like okay, now we got to start from ground zero. Did you ever pare down your sets defensively, oh, yeah. offensively? Yeah, we had to. Okay, we had to, um, which is tough because you know a lot of good things that you know were good for one guy, mm-hmm. but you know two or three other guys are going to struggle with it. So we have to kind of move away from some of these things or use those only you know, after timeouts or you know dead ball situations, um, but to allow our guys to just play free and and, and with a little bit more clarity. Um, at times, you do have to take a step back. I want to finish with this. I think I heard you say this after the last game is you wanted to get feedback from the players. You know, it's it's all, you know, coaches telling players, but you also want to, how can you get better? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a real sign of leadership because, you know, you could say, hey, look, I need you to do this, but, you know, as a leader, you have to take it also. What did some of the players say to you? Like, what, what do they want from you in your second yeah. year? Uh, it's, you, in general, I'd say the vast majority of it was positive. So, I mean, I'm, I'm pleased that that's, you know, hopefully they're upfront and honest. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think it, they said they, two things. They need to hear from me more, uh, one. And, and two, um, you know, the individual uh, communication. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, man, I, I feel like that's all I do is talk. Yeah. But I think it, it just goes to show you that you can't communicate enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that it's bad, but the fact that they, they want it more. Um, it's a big piece. You know, I remember I told you a long time ago that taking the, you know, that, that next step, that you have to learn to 
you know, work as a head coach and not as a, an assistant, and that, that's a big piece of it. Mm -hmm. uh, that daily communication, and it's just, it's, it's constant. Uh, you know, good, bad, and different. Sometimes it's nothing more than just catching up. Yeah. It has nothing to do with basketball. But they, they want to feel that they're, they're, there's that connectivity. Um, and I think, you know, that building that relationship, or, you know, is, is a big piece. And having a longer offseason will, will help us allow for more time. Do you um, plan on traveling oh, to, yeah. to go see guys oh, in yeah, the summer? You have to. You have to. Because it's, it's easy to say, hey, I want everyone here. Um, but I think, you know, meeting them on their own turf, on their own mm -hmm. terms, I think is great. Um, you know, it gives you an insight into, you know, what they do offseason. Gives us an opportunity to kind of connect with, some of the people they work with mm -hmm. um, to, you know, help facilitate some of the things we want. Uh, so I think it, that's a big piece in, in, in continued development. You do a great job of kind of like reading the room. Um, I call it the kind of the two ears and one mouth <laughs> philosophy. But is that kind of, is that you? Are, are you going to have to like be more communicative like that because I, I don't know if that's a problem but I do understand what the players are saying about yeah. you know maybe those one-on-one -on -one kind of conversations but is that you I mean can, can, no, can I mean, you yeah, do that so. yeah yeah I think so because I think I've done a, a pretty good job with it I just think you have to do it more often okay I mean the, the team messaging it, to me is the hardest part okay. because you, know, you, you gotta you know, like sometimes take away some of the individual things uh, even take away your own you know, feeling like you may have bad taste in your mouth about how we play. Well, does it behoove us to come in here and yell and scream right now? Mm -hmm. Or do you just, hey, these are a couple things that didn't go right last night. Let's take a look at the film. Let's clean it up on the floor. Now let's turn the page and bring that energy that we need for the next day. Mm -hmm. So it, you always have to kind of think what's important for the group. It look to go beyond the individual. But the individual you know, communications are where you can kind of get ahead of some things at times. You know, whether a guy, whether he's playing well or not. It could be something off the floor, it could be, you know, something nagging physically, uh, a mental component, all those things that, you know, you have to continue to kind of, um, you know, massage at times, but also extract. Uh, guys aren't always going to just come to you. And, and no matter how many times I get up there and say, hey, you know, what do you guys like? What do you need? What, how can I help you? Very rarely do they give you anything, you know, palatable. Right. Sometimes you have to just kind of keep digging until they, you know, you're finally able to extract it. It was an honor. Appreciate you. First year. Thank you so much. I mean, doggone, man. You did a good job. Thank you. I don't care what the rec record said. You did a good job. Thank you.